This podcast is part of Mishmash Media. Hey folks, Ivan here. Just letting you know that uh, we recorded this week's episode, The Hero, and we had some issues with some audio. Unfortunately, the program that we use wasn't able to render our audio properly, so it doesn't quite sound as clear as it normally does. It, it kind of sounds like we're speaking in a bathroom or recording, so uh, yeah. So apologies if the audio is a little bit off this week, but uh, but we enjoyed it anyway. We enjoyed the episode and uh, discussing it, and uh, we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey buddy. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Welcome to another episode of Curbcast. This is a podcast where we get an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. We watch them for the very first time and uh, we review them scene by scene. My name is Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And we are up to, which Stephen, which I think is a wonderful episode, The Hero, Season 8, Episode 6. I'm going to call it now my second favourite episode of Season 8. Yeah, I really like this episode too. I loved Ricky Gervais being in it. I loved just Larry. I think he was on fire in this episode. Um, I like the fact that it was set in New York. Yes. I think that that just makes it slightly uh, more interesting. The episode would have been as good as if it was if it was in LA, but a change of uh, location is always good. Uh, yeah, really good episode. Definitely. And uh, next week's episode, The Bisexual, is set in New York as well. So I'm guessing maybe for like, like we, we're not we're not sure. Like I said, we're watching these for the first time, like I mentioned earlier. I'm guessing maybe the rest of the season set in New York. Possibly, because Larry's meant to be there for, you know, at least three months. So maybe, yeah. uh, you know, we, we uh, opined the last couple of weeks that there's not really a, a story arc as such in this season. Like, it's more about Larry post-Cheryl, but uh, maybe being in New York is like the arc for the rest of the season. Yeah, I would agree. You know, it's almost like it's divided in two, whereas the first half of the episode, the first half of the season is Larry just on an asshole role post-Cheryl and just being, leaving just a path of destruction and... Now it's gone to the other side of the country. So it's almost like split in two in a way. I agree that the overarching, that that's what we've come up with so far. And I think, you know, being episode six now, I don't think that there'll be a, a storyline that carries through the rest of the season way over now. So I, I think what we're saying is right. Yeah. Well, like I said, we're, we're not sure, <laughs> but, but yeah, judging from what we saw, like I've watched this episode and the next episode as well. And they're both in New York. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that we're in New York uh, because Leon turns up. He drives all the way from LA to New York in the next oh, wow. episode. So uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty full on. So. So, uh, yeah, I'm guessing, uh, and Leon stays with Larry in the apartment. So yeah. I'm guessing, yeah, I'm guessing they're going to spend the rest of their time in New York for, for this season. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, watch it, watch it. You'll, you'll see what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we're doing that episode next week, Steve, but uh, this week, The Hero, which, like I said, I'm looking forward to uh, reviewing with you today. Sure, for sure. If uh, you want to get in touch with us, you can. We have an email, pepcastpod at gmail.com. We're on social media as well, and you can check out those handles in the show notes. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash mishmash media, a US a month. Our episode's a bit earlier than the rest of the world. And uh, if you don't want to support us financially, just tell someone in your life about us who might like Curb or Seinfeld and want to hear it to Australians talk about Curb. Yeah, that'll be absolutely amazing. First time Curb watches from down under. It tells itself. Yeah, it does. It does. Why not? Get into it. Tell your friends and family, will you? Yeah, well, <laughs> that'll be great. Want. Yeah, I know. Well, probably want a lot more, but, you know, it's, yeah. it's good enough, I guess. Yeah, you would, ask, <laughs> you would ask yourself before listening to us, what more could I want? And then after listening to us, you go, a lot more. Yeah, hopefully. Well, at least if you can leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast service and say that, that'd be great. 
That's totally fine. Five stars, but needs more. Anyway, let's get into it, buddy. Season 8, Episode 6, The Hero, aired in the US on HBO for the very first time on August 14, 2011. In this one, Larry accidentally becomes a hero on the flight to New York, earning him the respect of the woman sitting next to him. But it backfires when Jeff and Susie try to court Ricky Gervais. And uh, as you guys remember from last week, Larry inadvertently is heading to New York for a few months to kind of save face with Matt Tesla. So, uh, yeah, last episode ended with them on the plane. This episode starts with them on the plane in the same scene. Very, uh, very good. A good tie-in. A good tie-in, yeah. That, that's the word I was looking for, yeah. <laughs> a bit of trivia about the episode, Steve. Chris Parnell, he plays the character Hank, uh, who's married to the uh, British actress uh, in the musical with Ricky Gervais. He appeared on Seinfeld in season nine's The Butter Shave, and he played one of the NBC executives where Jerry deliberately bombs his set to kill Banya's upcoming one. Uh, and they offer him a pilot after Newman and Kramer, uh, after the uh, you know seasoned Kramer incident. They go on the stage, and uh, yeah, Chris Parnell, he plays one of the executives who gives Banya the uh, opportunity for a pilot. Yep, I remember. Yeah, so because uh, I, I saw him before, I'm like, who is this guy? And then I went on IMDb and I saw him and I'm like, oh yeah, what has he been in? Oh shit, yeah, he's one of like the, the later NBC executives in, in that episode. Yeah, yeah so- the one who offers Kenny the pilot. Yeah. Yeah, post-Russell. They got a new team in. They did, yes. They did. But yeah, there you go. So yeah, a bit of a uh, bit of interesting trivia. Only only on a hunch, like, because I saw him before and I'm like, who is this dude? I have no freaking idea. But the actor, Chris Parnell, and yeah, that's what he's been in. And uh, Ricky Gervais, he has, uh, in 2006, so five years before this episode aired for the first time, uh, he previously interviewed Larry David for a one-off TV special called Ricky Gervais Meets Larry David. And uh, they were both on the show expressing being fans of each other's work. I have never seen that special. I'm sure it's floating somewhere on YouTube or something. I'm guessing Ricky Gervais is like The Office, you know, when he was like popular in The Office and stuff, when he got his big break. Yeah, he did a special and uh, interviewed Larry. And- yeah, I can, I've always thought that The Office and her humor is very, very similar. And not just the humor, but just even the way that they're filmed, you know, it's yeah. very like fly on the wall. Um, not so much for Curb in later seasons, the production value is a bit higher, but if you watch like the first, say, five seasons of Curb and, uh, and The Office, the, the, mm. um, and, and to a lesser extent, The American Office, you know, very similar production values and, you know, no laugh track and just, just an asshole, you know, <laughs> being awkward and making everyone else uncomfortable. Like, you know, I can understand why. Yeah. The Office is one of the only British comedies or sitcoms or whatever that's been uh, adapted into an American one that's actually been successful. Like, so many British comedies, you know, they try and Americanize it. Yeah, the, the humour between British and American comedies is completely different. Yeah. Um, just different styles. But I, I think The Office works because, like, you can set, you can make, like, the characters, like, kind of character traits between The Office UK and The Office US. It, they're very similar, and you can kind of, like, adapt it into, like, an, with an American audience. And, you know, you can you can set, like, an office in, in the US as well. And I, I think... I I think they're easily interchangeable. I think you can do it. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's probably how it kind of stands out from other kind of British comedies that have tried to become Amer- Americanized, but uh, they've pretty much all failed. I think as well, though, the UK office to me is the you know because I love Ricky Gervais, I think it's the better of the two. But I think the American office is really good. Yes. Um, but- you're, you're, are you a David Brent fan or a Michael Scott fan? Uh, David for sure. David. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I like both of them, but David wins. No. I think the reason why the US office was successful is even though it's 
Americanized to a certain extent, it still follows the same formula as the British one. Like they didn't change too much. No. Obviously the references and the, you know, the subtleties are more American than British, but the fundamentals are all, all very much the same. Like the, the dynamics, the lack of laugh track, the production value, just you've got this like awkward, terrible person who just makes everyone else uncomfortable and just says and does shit shamelessly. Like they kept enough similarities to make it work. If they abandoned a lot of what made the U.S. office, uh, the U.K. office work, I think it would have been like many other instances, just a failure. Yeah, you yeah, know, they honoured what made the British office so good. Yeah, it did, it did, and uh, yeah, it's still popular till till today. People are still talking about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's good to see. But yeah, no, I, I like Ricky Gervais. I mean, I, you know, say what you will about some things that he said in the past, but uh, generally I think he's probably one of the best comedians out there. He, he kind of tells it like it is. Uh, and just his kind of, his kind of humor is just great. Yeah. He always, I just love, he just boils simple truths down or, or he, he boils complex situations down to simple truths. And yeah. He just, he always says it with this like almost exasperation. He's like, but why? Why would you do that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like Larry. Larry exacerbates yeah, stuff a lot. Yeah. 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 Like, but, yeah. But, you know, they're fucking, you know, like he'll talk about he's very like anti-religion. He's a, he's a pretty staunch atheist. And, you know, he'll boil like a complex issue in religion, like say, I don't know, name anything. And he'll just boil it down to a couple of simple sentences. And it's like, yeah, you, you can't really argue with that. Like, no, that's very true. Yeah, He doesn't yeah. talk down to his audience as well. Like he boils it no. down to make it more simple to digest, but it's still very intelligent and insightful. I think Definitely. that's it. And also just, he's just a funny dude. And his laugh. I think his laugh is like a, a key feature of what makes him so awesome. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his, yeah, like that kind of laugh. Yeah, 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 cackle. Yeah, yeah, like an amplified cackle. It's yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, seeing him at the Golden Globes, like tear into the celebrities, and they're all like, "Oh my god!" They're all like shocked, like, "Holy shit!" (laughs) It's amazing. He's like, "Don't pretend with Jeffrey Epstein. You all knew him. (laughs) Don't lie. You're all friends with him. You all have to catch your own plane here." (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's fucking um, awesome. There's yeah. one where he's, it's more of like a lighthearted dig than an actual like criticism of celebrity culture. But he was talking about the Irishman, like the, the last, the latest Scorsese movie and how long it is. Yeah. Was. Yeah. And yeah. he goes, the Irishman is so long that by the time it finished, Leonardo DiCaprio's date was too old for him. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think Leo's in the room and he's kind of looking yeah, a bit awkward. He's like, and he's, he looks a bit, uh, a bit embarrassed, but, but yeah. he's laughing along. Like he's, you know, he's, good sport about it yeah yeah definitely <laughs> you gotta watch his show if you haven't already watch afterlife that's a ricky gervais show it's it, yeah. it's like it's on netflix i haven't watched it but i know about it it's, it's oh like, it's cancer and it's him like just trying to get on with it oh it's amazing man it's like you see like a different side to like you see some of like ricky's humor in there but he, a lot of it's like very sad and and stuff and uh, yeah it's very yeah it's like a grieving a grieving widower yeah after his wife dies oh it's amazing like he's so good he's yeah. so good in that show it's amazing yeah, actually he actually works that storyline into that Golden Globes run of jokes where he's like, my show Afterlife is about yeah. a man who wants to die after his wife dies of cancer. And it's more fun than this. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's full yeah. on. <laughs> All right, mate. Let's get into it, eh? Sure. Scene one of The Hero. The Greens and Larry are where they left off in the previous episode, sitting on the plane heading to New York. Larry is continuing to eat his pink berry and, uh, before takeoff, like I said. A lady goes up to Larry and tells her of her seat on, at the window. He's sitting at the aisle and he lets her sit down. 
Jeff and Susie look very impressed, as in, the, you know, this woman's, you know, quite attractive. She's probably a little bit younger than Larry, but about, you know, Larry's, um, you know, criteria for a woman that he's been, uh, he's been dating. And, uh, yeah, Jeff and Susie are kind of nodding and they're like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. Larry might, uh, you know, give it a go, pick her up, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> he offers the lady some of his pink berry and she says no. And uh, Jeff gives Larry the thumbs up and Susie rolls her eyes. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we find out, like, her name's Donna. We find out and, uh, yeah, she's not really really into his humour, but another thing that he does uh, in the next scene, she gets attracted to him for. Yeah, he's the titular hero. The titular hero, yes. <laughs> Stepping on his laces. So good, so good. Larry pushes the lady's juice to her, and he says because of encroachment, he had to bring the juice uh, back towards her seat, and it costs her a quote-unquote penalty as he complains to her about how shoelaces are longer than the old days. She says she's trying to read, so obviously she's not too impressed with Larry's kind of uh, idiosyncrasies that other women find humorous, but Donna, she seems a bit more uh, straight edge, so she's not really not really into it. Larry says that he can do better, as in better trying to pick her up, as he heads to the toilet in the first-class cabin, which is occupied. He goes to the class, um, the, the coach class uh, section, to head towards the bathroom. Another passenger says that the back bathroom is for coach only. She claims that she tried using the first class toilet before, but she couldn't use it because she wasn't in there. And he tells Larry that he is privileged uh, for wanting to use the coach class toilet, even though he is in first class. She accuses Larry of being up himself for being first class. And Larry describes himself as coachy when she describes him as classy. First classy, I should say. He goes, no, I'm coachy. I've always been coachy. Uh, Larry says he's not like the others and they mock each other and he walks off. He's like, I'm coachy, I'm coachy, I'm not first classy. And they do like this, nye, 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 like that childish kind of, nye, 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 and then it kind of stops. She's like, well, you're not acting coachy. You're not yeah, you're not acting coachy. <laughs> it's acting all high and mighty in first class. <laughs> yes. I can understand the woman's sentiment. She needed to go to the bathroom and she tried to go through the curtain. And uh, yeah, they're probably like, sorry, ma'am, you're not in first class. Please go back to your seat. Yeah, it's a, it's a double standard. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the episode, um, The Airport uh, from Seinfeld, where Elaine's in coach and Jerry's in first class. And, you know, Jerry's ironically, like, meeting another woman, like, next to him as well, and they're having the time of their lives, and uh, Elaine's, it's like hell back there for her. So, it uh, kind of yeah. kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Yeah, she tries to sneak into first class and gets booted. Yeah, she does, yeah. So, I could imagine this woman was like Elaine, maybe, sort of. And not as neurotic as Elaine. But, uh, no, yeah. she didn't look like she was having about as time as Elaine was, but um, she didn't like Larry's arrogance. Yeah, the coach class in this airplane looks much better than the one in Seinfeld. Yeah, I think so. I think coach is actually... I mean, I've never flown first class, but coach or what do they call it now? Uh, economy class, economy, I think. You know, or passenger class. Yeah, I've never, I've never had a bad time. No, me either. It's been a ride, especially international flights. It's been good, yeah. man. Yeah, you know, just give me, just give me a, you know, a little screen full of. I don't know, Marvel movies I've seen a bunch of times and I'm good. <laughs> and you said, yeah, just give me, give me those peanuts. <laughs> those little peanuts and a little like a Coke or something and, and I'm good. Good. Yep. I'll watch, <laughs> I'll watch Infinity War for the ninth time. No problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be like Thanos, snap your finger and be like, excuse me, ma'am. I'd like another yes. drink. Yeah. <laughs> snap. <laughs> yeah. You think if I had the Infinity Gauntlet, I would just snap the plane to where it's going so I didn't have to fly. But, you know, I, I don't yeah. want to power. I just want to be. You don't want to wipe up half the passengers by mistake. That's the only thing I'd use the Infinity Gauntlet for is like make loud clicks so that I could get the attention of weight stuff. Yeah, even though I've got like the literal power of the universe in my hand, I just, I just use it so that it's more um, attention grabbing. It's like you click your fingers in Sydney <laughs> and then some waiter from LA turns around and says, oh, what would you like, sir? 
What would you like? <laughs> that's how powerful your clicks are. Yeah, maybe that's what happens to the waiter in this episode a bit later on. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Jeff says he does materialize. Though, you know, he does, yeah. He just comes, vanishes, yeah, you know, vanishes and then he appears out of thin air. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, amazing. I mean, maybe Jeff had the Infinity Gauntlet and he just clicked his, this weirdo waiter into existence. He must have. <laughs> the only plausible explanation, am I right? I think so. As Larry heads to the bathroom, a drunk passenger asks the stewardess for another drink. She refuses to serve him more alcohol. The scene cuts to Larry flossing his teeth in the bathroom. The scene cuts back to the man and the stewardess. They both argue as he goes to the drink cart to get one for himself, and she tells him not to do it. He yells at her as the stewardess goes to report him to the captain before the man pushes her onto a passenger seat and holds her down. Larry, unaware of what's going on, leaves the bathroom. He trips on his laces in the aisle before falling onto the man. The man snaps out of it, and he apologises immensely for what he did, and he says that he will go back to his seat. Larry is confused about what happened as the stewardess thanks him for what he did. The coach all applaud him as Larry is humbled. He walks through the first class curtain and first class is also clapping for him. Larry explains what happened to Jeff and Susie as the woman next to him finally takes an interest in him. She calls him a hero and introduces herself as Donna. Larry is tying up his shoelaces as Susie looks at Larry's laces and looks at Larry who realises that Susie's watching him. I like how she gives like a slight like smirk as well. Like she realises what's happened. She suspects that they could have that the laces could have been the reason for his accidental act of heroism. But you know, Susie doesn't say anything, you know, because I think as well, like, you know, Susie always bags Larry, but I think in a way Susie kind of wants Larry to be happy as well. Like yeah. In in like a sick kind of way. I don't know. Like I feel like he doesn't she doesn't want to like spoil this moment, you know, with Larry and Donna and she's like, Oh look, I know your secret, Larry, I know how you became a quote unquote hero, but well, I won't I let you ruin your chances with, with this girl. In a way, if Larry's in a good spot and he's doing well in life, that benefits her because Jeff is her husband Jeff is Larry's manager and yes. whatever Larry earns. Not that, you know, Larry's lacking in money or he'll ever like not earn money just from syndication alone from Seinfeld, but like, you know, the more on Larry is, the better it is for his financial situation, which in turn yes. better for Jeff and Susie. So I think she has a vested interest in Larry, like being at the very least, you know, not like a basket case locked in his room, like, you know, like a basic functioning person out in the world. Mm. Um, I think it's more that it would be majorly disadvantageous to her if Larry was just a total train wreck of a person, you know, like, he yeah. just, like if, he, if he wasn't doing anything or going anywhere or seeing anyone, I think that's where her like want for Larry to be at least okay comes from because it benefits her. Yeah. Yeah. She certainly wants, uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> she despises yeah. him. Like she, she hates oh, him. Oh yeah. Yeah. But not, not to the point of seeing him like lonely. No, no, or do you think not. like she actually like hates, 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 hates. Yeah. No, I'm, I don't, I think she despises him. I think she tolerates him again because he is what allows Jeff to be, you know, also wealthy. Like, yeah. You know, Larry is their meal ticket. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true, you true. Know? So I think if Larry wasn't his manager and they were just best friends, I don't think she would tolerate. You know, she's she's very intolerant of his crap anyway. Yeah. But she always gives him another chance. Like, she always indulges it, you know, until it's too much and then just stops indulging it. Flies off the handle. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think if, if their income and their financial situation wasn't directly tied to Larry, you know, she would make Jeff, like, stop being friends with him or yeah. just say, if you want to hang out with him, do it away from me or something like that. Something like that. Okay, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> 
for her. Vested interest, yeah. Like, more tolerant of his crap. Very true, very true. Well, Susie later on in the episode describes Larry, like, Larry can't get away from them, as in her and Jeff, because he she describes him as an appendage to us. Mm. <laughs> it's like an appendage to us. So Larry's always kind of like hanging off them. I mean, you can even, what I was just saying is in a way kind of supported in this episode where we'll get to the scene a bit later, but at the dinner party, Larry's pushed down the other end of the table, yeah. which to me is like symbolic of like Jeff growing as a manager. Cause you know, there's potential that he's going to sign Ricky Gervais in this episode. So maybe mm. pushing Larry away and seeing him as like more of an appendage is, you know, a sign of maybe Larry doesn't need to rely on, uh, sorry, maybe Jeff doesn't need to rely on Larry. Like, you know, he can get different clients that can support them financially being their manager. And this is like Ricky Gervais in his prime as well, mind you, exactly. you know, like, like he's, he, would, he did the office, he did like the extras show, which is like featured, the DVDs featured in this episode, which was still like a very critically acclaimed comedy as well. Yeah. So he's kind of like at this stage in his career where he's like, an A-lister, I guess. Yeah, for you sure. Know. I mean, the, yeah. the, the amount of money that Ricky Gervais would be making and Jeff's cut would be equally as lucrative as, as Larry's cut. You know, and Larry's yeah. not doing anything. Like, he doesn't... No. He's not he hasn't done anything since Seinfeld. No, but, not really. Um, no. I mean, he tried to he tried to relaunch Seinfeld and he tried to get... um That was really it. That's really the only project yeah. he's worked on significantly. So, yeah. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Ricky Gervais would be a lucrative client for them, for sure. Which, unfortunately, Larry fucks up. <laughs> and Jeff has to go back to Larry and rely on uh, the syndication rights for Seinfeld. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, poor bugger. Larry wakes up in Rennie's apartment, uh, the one that Matt Tesla uh, got Larry, uh, and opens the curtain as he looks to the New York skyline. At breakfast, Larry complains... To, oh, sorry, I think it might be lunch, actually. Larry complains to Jeff at lunch about his long laces as Jeff understands that Larry wouldn't have tackled the passenger on purpose. Jeff notices Ricky Gervais sitting at a nearby table. Jeff gets Larry to turn around without Ricky noticing it. Jeff pretends that he's observing the uh, new lighting in the restaurant and Larry turns around pretending to look at the lights, you know. They don't want to, like, turn around and just glare at Ricky Gervais because that's a bit weird. So they kind mm. of pretend they're looking in, like, his direction. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about something else. Jeff says that Ricky is in town for a play and says that he's been wanting to sign him for a long time. Larry suggests buying a bottle of wine for Ricky. A waiter, not like the one that you said that manifests with Jeff's uh, <laughs> gauntlet snap. The waiter asks if they would like to buy a bottle of wine for Ricky Gervais as Jeff wonders how the waiter knew what they were planning. Uh, they accept. Larry says to Jeff that waiters eavesdrop and to be careful for what you say. And uh, Jeff's like, yeah, they understand all the tidbits, <laughs> you know. It's like a, it's like a tidbit central in a restaurant, you know, like all the, the waiters kind of eavesdrop on everyone's conversations and know what they want. Is that a thing? What's that? Like waiters doing that. I'm guessing most waiters don't really care, you know. I guess it depends where you work, I suppose. I mean, it's basically like a high up, an upper class kind of restaurant. I was going to say, like, if I was a waiter and my clientele was like celebrities or people with interesting information, I'd probably make more of an effort to eavesdrop. But you'd probably just, I think just by walking around a room... And you're pretty close. You know, you imagine like a busy restaurant and there's, I don't know, 50 tables there. Everyone is sitting pretty close together. So if you're walking between everyone, I think you would pick up a lot of bits and pieces of conversation just by being near people. Yeah. But if, if the clientele of a restaurant I worked at was like, yeah, Larry David and Ricky Gervais, or I don't know, people that I'd want to know what they're talking about, you know, I'd be a bit, I'd try and like, you know, pretend that I dropped something near their table just so I could catch what they're saying or something. I think yeah, I, yeah. Well, you yeah. Know, I mean, it's, it might not be like ethical or professional, but I think, uh, you know, I think I'd do it from time to time if I thought that the person was interesting enough. Yeah, like you'd actively listen to them. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't make it obvious and I wouldn't be like, like I wouldn't do it too much. 
But, um, you know, if I walked past and I heard them talking about, like, like if you walked past Larry and Jeff, if you were that waiter and you overheard a bit of conversation and they were talking about, you heard them just say Seinfeld, you know, or like a trigger word, like naturally you would be like, ooh, what are they talking about? Like you'd want yeah. to know if you desired it enough. I think you would like somehow find a way to linger or like maybe wait their table a bit too much or I don't know. Like I think we'd all be slightly guilty of like trying to eavesdrop a bit more than, you know, a, a bunch of clientele that aren't Larry David. Yeah. I think this waiter, like, to me, like, he doesn't seem to, like, actively listen necessarily. I think he just happens to be, like, in the area and then he just yeah. hears it. Like, he's kind of passive. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, this waiter kind of knows knows all. <laughs> he can kind of – I'm guessing he was probably, like, walking past when they, Larry and Jeff came up with the idea for the wine for Ricky mm-hmm. and he just overheard. The waiter says that a $300 bottle of wine, the most expensive in the house, was bought for Ricky on their behalf. They turn as Ricky thanks them for the wine. Larry says that it's too expensive as Jeff says he feels faint and has to eat. He says all his blood is going into his feet. (laughs) His blood pressure is going down. He feels faint. Larry spots their meals on the counter. Ricky is laughing with his friends and the waiter at the table as Larry offers to go get the meals from the counter. Jeff says that he will be a hero. (laughs) He does this. <laughs> he gets up and grabs the plates and brings them to the table, which impresses Jeff. The waiter moments later asks them where the food came from. Larry says he brought it over. The waiter says that it is the job of the waiter to do this. Jeff says it's the future of restaurants and no one will go hungry again. The waiter walks off annoyed. And uh, I guess they kind of prophesy, Steve, it's kind of happened in a way, uh, but there's like a middleman that does it. I guess it's kind of... um prophesize like food delivery services i mean like the customer doesn't necessarily pick up the food from the counter but maybe the uh, uber eats guy or the delivery guy probably picks up the food at the counter to give to the customer so it's kind of like a, a half prophecy if you will yeah yeah i can i can um well i mean you know there've been pizza delivery guys for generations you know people have picked up their own food at restaurants like the takeaway so i mean it's not i wouldn't call it a prophecy just more of a yeah it anticipates something that will become normal yeah yeah i, I don't know just yeah kind of like kind of like a half a half prophecy i don't know yeah yeah no i would yeah. agree with that larry is having a drink with donna at a bar in preparation for jeff and Susie's dinner that they're having at their apartment she says that people need to know about larry's act of heroism she says that she is inspired by the story of Sully, uh, the man with the plane in the Hudson River. He was, a, I think he was a, like a pilot and he, the plane was going down and I think he um, he was able to put the plane in the Hudson River and everyone survived or something. You've heard of that story yeah. before? I think Tom Hanks was in a movie about it one yeah, time. Yeah, Tom Hanks played him in a movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's exactly what you just said. plane was going down. He landed it in the Hudson. Everyone survived. Um, if he didn't make those decisions, everyone probably would have died. Yeah, um, yeah, he's, yeah. He's considered a hero. So the fact that Larry's being compared to Sully, that's uh, a bit of a stretch, I think. But uh, He's not exactly pushing back on it. Like, he's kind of, he's trying to downplay it, but he's also kind of indulging it. I was like, yeah. oh, you know, I'm not quite Sully, but really, I think he thinks that he's basically Sully. <laughs> yeah, in, in his own universe, yeah. Because the thing is, this act of heroism is the only thing which Donna is attracted to about Larry. Not necessarily his looks, his humour, you know, nothing like that. It's only because he's been a quote-unquote hero. That's why she's attracted to him. So Larry's trying to take advantage of it. Yeah, he's trying to... I think he realises that and um, he's really trying to lean into that to make sure that the attraction sticks. Yeah, definitely, because otherwise like, we find out, like, once the, the story is uncovered and the truth comes out, uh, things take a turn for Donna and Larry. <laughs> 
Larry jokingly says that if she can get Sally's phone number, then she can tell him Larry's story. Larry says he's never been tested like that before as he explains his experience in a crowd at the World Series at Yankees Stadium. And Donna says that she was glad that Larry was on the plane on that day as they toast. Larry and Donna pull up at a bakery next near Jeff and Susie's apartment as Larry says that he will get bread instead of wine for the Greens party. They turn up with Larry holding, uh, well, I thought it was a baguette, but apparently it's like an Italian long bread sort of thing. Uh, looks like a baguette. Yeah, it's it definitely looks like a baguette. Maybe it's like, when I think of hard Italian bread, I think of like a ciabatta. But maybe it's like a ciabatta. Ah, yes, a ciabatta. Yes, yes, yes. yes ciabatta is yes. like really chewy. They're not usually that long, though, I don't think. No, I was going to say maybe it's a ciabatta, but it's shaped like a baguette. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just saw it as a baguette. But yeah, a pretty, pretty damn long piece of bread. Goddamn. Susie asks what Larry is holding, and Susie says that the bread doesn't go with her menu. And she says that people usually bring wine and maybe sometimes nuts, but not bread. And Larry says, I bring bread. Ricky arrives, and uh, Susie greets him as a Ricardo. He gives Susie a signed copy, a DVD copy of his, well, I guess his show around that time, Extras. Um, Susie says it's the funniest show in the history of television, and Larry's kind of bemused, you know, because everyone says Seinfeld's one of the greatest, funniest shows on television, you know? So even Larry's a bit like, oh, what? <laughs> really? This is better than Seinfeld? Ricky says that he loves Seinfeld, and he likes, quote-unquote, broad comedy. <laughs> and he says that he likes that in Seinfeld that there's a laugh track to remind you when to laugh. It's kind of a bit of a dig of, um, you know, old-style sitcoms. We, we were saying before the episode, like, at the start of the episode, Steve, that shows like The Office and stuff didn't have like a laugh track so you know the audience was kind of could kind of like they kind of knew when the you know they can kind of figure out the jokes and laugh themselves whereas uh yeah. like ricky's kind of taking a dig as like the old style sitcoms with like the laugh track you know yeah they're a bit um they speak down to the audience a bit um, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Uh, but obviously Seinfeld was like a cut above, but, but oh, yeah, your yeah. typical your typical traditional sitcom, yeah, it's like, you know, they say a line and then there's like a, a pause for like half a second, then you hear like, ha, 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 you know, it's like, it's like a prompt for the audience to laugh, yeah. Mm. I've got the feeling that Ricky, even though this is their first on-screen interaction, he's obviously good friends with Susie because he brings over an autographed DVD of extras and- yes. um you know, they're really comfortable with each other. Like they, they hug and embrace like old friends. And I've just got this feeling that this is not the first, like, you know, previous to this episode, Ricky and, and Larry have had run-ins before. Cause I can just. Maybe. Think, yeah. yeah. It just feels yeah. like Rick, Ricky is not like his digs about sitcoms with laugh tracks and uh, you know, that he enjoys broad comedy. It seems very, very personal. Like it doesn't. Seem yes. Like, if it wasn't Larry, if it was someone else and they were just talking about sitcoms, I don't think he would have said those things. I think they no. seem like real deliberate digs at Larry. And I feel like he's either had a bunch of bad interactions with him or he's heard a bunch of stories from Susie and Jeff and he just from said, Susie and, and Susie's put like her lens on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I like feel like her, she said it her way. Yeah. Like yeah. I haven't met him, you know, if he has met him, he has, he doesn't like him. And if he hasn't met him, he doesn't like him. Yes. I think so too. I, it's too specific and too personal to not just be like a general comment about sitcoms. I absolutely agree. It's definitely a dig for Larry. And yeah, how Susie knew Ricky, like maybe Susie knew Ricky like before he became really big, like maybe when he came to America for the first time and he was trying to, you know, find his way into like the big time. Maybe like they somehow met through a friend or something when he was coming up. There's definitely like a history between Ricky and, and Susie. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, with contacts and stuff, you know, maybe, uh, you know, this is a good opportunity for Jeff to, to sign him though so, uh, this is like yeah. she's kind of giving jeff the opening to try and do it yeah and i'm sure they're you know maybe they another thought i had is maybe they became friends through you know because jeff is obviously trying to woo him for a while because jeff says to larry in the at the restaurant in the previous scene you know one more interaction and i think he'll be 
like, you know, I think I can sign him. Like, so he's, he's obviously like been yeah. working with him and like schmoozing him for a while to try and get him to sign on with him as a manager, you know, so maybe there's been like a lot of interactions in that process too. Yeah, I think so too. And this is just like a formality more than anything. And uh, it makes sense when, when we talk about like the table where they separate the couples and Ricky's like next to Jeff and Susie. That's kind of like probably the interaction that'll seal it. Yeah, I think so. It's like they want to make him the star of the dinner party and um, they think that that will seal the deal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Larry fucks it up. yeah, as predicted. Yes, uh, Larry retorts or replies back to Ricky, saying he's never seen someone turn up with a DVD of a show that they've been involved with. Um, Larry asks why Ricky is wearing a scarf. He replies that he wears one to keep his throat warm to project his voice in the play. Larry says that the the scarf doesn't seem to affect it, like affects it a little bit. His voice and Ricky's like, well, you know, if it if it affects one person, you and a thousand people don't notice, then that's totally fine with me. Ricky explains the play, Mister. Simmington and its plot. Uh, Larry brushes it off as <laughs> Ricky, like, he seems really, like, into it. He's, like, explaining the plot and he's kind of, like, getting into, like, the, the nitty-gritty of it and he's explaining, like, the story and, like, how the man the man is, like, predicating, you know, he's thinking about what the upcoming World War One, like, what's going to happen. He's also, like, you know, he's got a war brewing in his own head, you know, that kind of stuff. And then Larry's kind of like, eh, whatever, whatever, it's fine. Ricky offers to give him uh, tickets for him and a date, but Larry says Donna can't come and Ricky says, he can still go, go on his own. He invites him to the three-and-a-half-hour play. Uh, Ricky says that his ticket will be at the box office. Larry asks if Ricky enjoyed the $300 bottle of wine. Ricky said he enjoyed it and he thanks him for it, but he says he didn't look at the price tag. He never does when it's a gift. Larry suspects that Ricky conspired to get the most expensive bottle of wine as Susie calls him in for dinner. Susie brings everyone to their tables and says that they have separated the couples for something different. Donna is sitting next to Ricky and Jeff and Susie, and Larry questions why Susie did it. Susie says it's to meet new people, as Larry says he doesn't want to meet new people. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't want to know new people, <laughs> which is, uh, which you know, in some circumstances, you know, you might feel that way, which is, uh, which is fair enough. Larry sits next to a man named Hank. His wife, who is also in the play with Ricky, is sitting with them and the other end. They all toast. The men greet each other as Hank points to his British actress wife Ali at the other end of the table with Ricky. Uh, Hank says that when he first saw Larry, he thought that he may have been Spanish and that he's glad it's not the case. A confused Larry asks why that would be a problem and Hank says that he was picked on by kids who spoke Spanish when he was younger and Larry's like, were they from Spain? Were they Spaniards? And Hank's like, I don't know, but they spoke Spanish. And Larry's like, but you didn't know, so you don't know where they came from. But he's like, yeah, but they, they spoke Spanish. Yeah, I, um, I really laughed at this scene. Just the fact me that too. <laughs> funny. Like Spanish people, even though lots of countries that aren't Spain speak Spanish. It just, I don't know, it just... Yes. It's great. It's great. You can tell that Hank like has lots of like trauma. You know, he's got lots of like grievances and stuff. Stuff he's probably held on to for a long time. Some prejudices based on you know past events as well. He's like airing all his grievances to Larry, which is uh, which is funny. Yeah, he's got a lot on his mind. He seems like a very uh, troubled guy. Oh, he's very very troubled. Ricky is commenting on the hardness of Larry's bread, and Larry says the bread needs to be toasted. You, you can even throw it in like a pan, throw some butter, you know, some garlic, you know, to kind of soften it a bit. Uh, Susie gets up Larry for bringing the bread and says that he shouldn't have brought it. It's meant to be toasted! 
Hank is explaining his further trauma to Larry as Larry is trying to make small talk into medium talk. As Larry asks how often or how his marriage is going and uh, he, how often he has sex with his wife, Hank says he hasn't had sex for a while. He sees Ricky and everyone else having fun at the other end of the table. Larry gets up, gets up and gets angry for this couple separation system and he says the tables are fixed so all the cool people can sit at the Green's end, and Jeff laughs and says, "What the cool table? What are you in the third grade?" Yeah, this is Larry at his petty best. Oh, it's petty. This is probably like one of my favourite scenes in the episode. Actually, it's um, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Larry is is very, very, very petty. Yes. Hank asks where the bathroom is. He's walking, and he accidentally walks into Ricky, who spills his wine on his scarf. Hank offers to pay for a new scarf, but Ricky says, "Don't worry about it. It's a five hundred dollar scarf. It's very expensive." Um, Hank says he's good for it. Hank says he tripped over his shoelaces as Susie says that's what happened to Larry on the plane Donna asks if it's true and Larry doesn't answer at the theatre box office, Susie tells Larry that he should be himself in front of Donna or any other ladies rather than try and place like a hero persona or something that he's not. Be the real Larry. Larry says that since Susie, since the revelation of what happened on the plane, Donna was cold to him. Uh, Larry says not to bother inviting them him to their dinners anymore. And Susie says that they have no choice as Larry is an appendage to them. <laughs> Like I said before, like, you know, the Susie and Jeff, well, especially Susie, can't get away from Larry. Um, yeah, so, yeah, no, she's no, like, no. we can't, we can't, we can't not invite you. You're an appendage to us. You're an appendage to us. Brutal. You're appendage. I don't know. Is that a compliment? No, it's definitely not a compliment. Um, no. I mean, would you want to be called an appendage? Um, no. You know, in the context of like, we can't get rid of you because you're attached to us. That's pretty, it's, pretty, um, pretty harsh. Yeah. I'd be pretty especially by someone who despises me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. exactly. It's like, yeah. we, you're only in our life because we can't get rid of you. Like that's, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> very, very brutal. Yeah. I know. Larry goes to get his ticket at the box office and the receptionist says it'll cost $200. Larry um, thought that they were free. He tells the Greens what's happening and they say, just pay it, you're already here. And he reluctantly pays for the ticket. The scene cuts to them going to their seats. Very good seats, almost at the front in the middle there. Very, pretty uh, pretty good ones. If you're into the theatre and you know good seats, they're, uh, they're pretty good. Yeah. Susie sits in the aisle and Larry says that he has the aisle seat ticket and he has to sit there. Jeff tells Larry to sit in the middle and to not fuck this up to him. Larry says this is different to the dinner party when Susie and Jeff were sitting together, and but now they want to be separated as Larry sits in the middle and the play begins. Larry tells Susie he's uncomfortable. He says he wants the aisle seat. Susie says she needs it because she's a girl. <laughs> Larry says, you're not a girl, you're a witch. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> You're a witch. Fantastic. Ricky is distracted after hearing Susie and Larry's bickering in the crowd. Jeff tells them to shut up as Ricky is trying to spot who in the crowd it is who's talking. He can't see because it's a bit dark. Um, so he can hear like people and it kind of throws him off a little bit, but he, uh, he maintains his composure. Ricky complains to the Greens and Larry in his dressing room about the bickering he heard in the crowd. They say that Ricky was fantastic and Ricky says, ah, oh, it wasn't that good. I was a nine out of 10, which he claims was the worst he's ever done. Larry describes the person who was yelling as a very ugly, hideous-looking lady who was complaining about her seat. And Susie's like, she was actually a beautiful woman. What are you talking about? Yeah. Larry's just, you know, giving Susie shit in this circumstance. Larry says he loves the play Oklahoma as Ricky mocks it and he says it's for, like, the common people. Ricky plays up his play's plot and says that the show has been extended for six weeks. Larry mocks Ricky for his fake tears on stage. Ricky says that it's real and every time he goes on stage 
stage, he cries real tears. Larry says that Ricky wasn't crying. And Ricky says that the evidence of this was tissues in the bin. Larry reminds Ricky of the $200 ticket he had to pay for and reminds him also of the $3, $300 bottle of wine he bought him. Ricky says that he gave Larry the gift of art <laughs> as the Greens and Larry walk out. So, uh, yeah, even in that moment, Larry basically trying to get his $500 back. I did like Larry's line when he said, um, I give you the gift of wine and you give me the gift of art and I have to pay for both of them. <laughs> yeah, I have to pay for both of them. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's a good quick from Larry. That's great. Yeah, I know. He's, just, he's, he's like the $500. It's not the money. It's just it's the principle more than anything. You know, he's $500 in the hole for some dude that he doesn't really like. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like Larry doesn't ever have to worry about money ever, but he's a bit of a tight ass. He's, he's like, you know, I think that part of George Costanza's character is based on Larry. You know, yes, maybe definitely. Not. I don't think he's as tight-fisted as George, but um, because he doesn't have to be. Like George is often low on funds, but like, you know, he's still very conservative with his money. But more than enough, yeah. But but George, yeah, George doesn't have money. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah. Like George yeah. is tight because he doesn't have a lot. But even when he's flush, he, you know, he's tight anyway. But Larry he is, is like, yeah. George is like a, a more extreme version of Larry in that regard. Yeah, whereas Larry is always like wealthy. <laughs> but he still he still lives like frugally as well. No, not frequently, but he doesn't. He's still very careful with his money. He's not a flashy dude. You know, he doesn't drive. No, he's not. Or wear flash clothes. Like, he just dresses like a daggy dad and drives like a a Prius. A a Prius, yeah. Mm. For for an extremely rich man, he's pretty low-key. Yeah, very low-key, yeah. The trio are about to head down the stairs to leave the backstage area when Ali, who was in the play opposite Ricky, greets them. The trio praise her for her performance. Ali gets mad at Larry for talking about her marriage with Hank as Larry defends himself. Ali claims she fucks her husband four to five times a week as she walks off in anger. <laughs> I like Larry's um like impressed nod. He's like, oh Yeah, he's impressed. Like, like yes, he's doing yes. that, that thing like I can't obviously this is an audio medium so I can't show our listeners, but he's like he's almost like pursed his lips. He's like mm. Like, yes, yes, yes. He does that when he's yeah, like intrigued, yeah. Even though they're having like, even though he's getting blasted and being told to mind his business and being abused, he's still like impressed that she has sex four to five times a week with her husband. <laughs> that's perfect reaction. It, it is, yeah. Like you think that he'd be like, oh, sorry or whatever. I didn't know. That, that's Larry. Yeah, like, he he's doesn't, like, he's he doesn't care about being abused. He doesn't care about like potentially causing issues in their marriage or whatever. Like he, yeah. he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. Like he's yeah. just completely detached from like social consequence. The only thing that he reacts to is the quantity of sex that she's having. I just that's, I think yeah. that's just so good. For your information, I have sex with my husband four to five times a week, so you can shove it up your ass. Yeah, I fuck my husband four to five times a week, so you can shove that up your ass. And he's just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you're right. He's totally detached from consequences, like social consequences. Yeah, like he's not, he like, doesn't look, if this was happening in season three and he was getting blasted, you know, he would look shocked or a bit like, oh, what have I done? But now he just, it just completely turned off. He doesn't care. Yeah. It's great. It's great how, how Curb has kind of changed almost for the better, you know? Yeah. yeah like kind of, it, like it was, it was always fantastic, but it's become like, in la- like in terms of like Larry's dynamic, even more fantastic. Yeah, he just, he just doesn't give two shits. Awesome. Yeah, he's more of an asshole, and he cares less. That, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like post Cheryl, he's a almost almost well, still the same person, but a little bit more of an asshole. Yeah, he's like more neurotic, and he just yeah. doesn't like. I think what made him care, or you know, at least in some episodes, try and redeem himself or correct a situation, probably was Cheryl. He's like, well, what would Cheryl think? You know, Cheryl was like sort of his moral compass in a way. But now that she's gone, he's like, he's just fully, I, I think I've said it heaps, he's just unleashed. Untamed. Unleashed, yeah. Just He's just a complete sociopath at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm here for all of it. 
We oh, Me too, mate. Me too. Jeff and Larry are back at the same restaurant as before, but this time sitting in another section. Jeff says he's close to signing Ricky and he's relieved that he, Ricky didn't know that it was them bickering during the performance. The waiter from before walks up to them and Larry asks, what are you doing in this section? And the waiter says he's covering this section for today. Larry apologises for what happened the other day regarding uh, grabbing the food from the counter. The waiter accepts it, says water under the bridge, and he takes their orders. Uh, so Larry orders the bison burger and Jeff orders the chopped salad with avocado. Interesting uh, uh, choices. Jeff is going for a healthier option. Usually uh, it'd probably be the other way around, right? Well, I think Jeff looks like he's lost some weight. I don't know, maybe he's on a bit of a health kick or just trying to reduce his calories. And um, yeah, Larry, just one to care about his health or... But he's never really mm. had any vices either. Like, he's pretty pretty healthy, I guess, in a way. But, yeah, um, he looks good yeah. for his age, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, you think it would be the other way around. <laughs> for sure. Well, the real Jeff Garland, who plays Jeff Green, he, he loses weight over time as well. Like, you see him in newer episodes of Curb, and he's like, he looks yeah. good. So maybe, yeah. maybe like, it was kind of mirroring real, like like Jeff Garland. You know, maybe well, he I was, like, losing weight at this time. He started to. If you see Jeff in this season compared to previous seasons, definitely lost weight even around this time. So uh, He has, yeah, that's you know, true. Maybe it's yeah. just like, well, we need to kind of incorporate that into the show just so it makes sense. You know, even if they don't comment on it specifically, it's just like, no. well, you know, he eats healthier food, so it makes sense that he's thinner. Yeah, it's thinner. Well, good for him. <laughs> yeah, because in the, in earlier episodes of Curb, man, he, uh, he's like he's like obese. Yeah, he's, you very, know? he's a big fella. Oh, very big fella, yeah. They see Hank and they beckon him over as Hank says he can't talk to Larry. Larry suggests that Hank give Larry the $500 and that evens everything out. Hank calls Ricky over to discuss this and Jeff is embarrassed. Hank tries to explain the system to Ricky as he disagrees with Larry. Ricky just says to Hank, just pay me the $500 for the scarf and we're good. Hank gives him the money. Ricky walks off. Ricky says he knew it was Larry and Jeff who were talking the whole time at the theatre and they wonder how he found out and he says the waiter told him and he points to them and the waiter looks at the crowd in the distance at the group Ricky says he refuses to be signed to Jeff and he will never do so because of what they did at the theatre and he walks off oh he's about to walk off Ricky says that Donna was right about Larry Larry asks Ricky if he's been seeing her Ricky says no as Larry does one of his trademark stare downs for 20 seconds or so Larry believes him as Ricky walks off Larry spots his food at the counter and he walks over to get it <laughs> so yeah there you go oh, it's good to see one of uh, Larry's stare downs again with that that music that plays when it happens yeah ricky ricky gets involved as well and uh yeah uh, you know larry uh well ricky claims that uh you know he's been speaking to donna but not sleeping with her but yeah it was probably going to lead on to uh possibly a bit of a fling between them he probably seemed pretty attracted to ricky at the at the dinner party yeah i think so larry is leaving the bakery as he spots donna and ricky walking together across the street and entering the subway larry is following them holding the baguette as he enters the uh, nearby train carriage, the one next to them. Larry is about to head to the carriage where Ricky and Donna are uh, while holding his baguette. He spots Ricky and Donna getting mugged through the window and he's shocked at what he's seeing. He unsheaths the bread <laughs> from from the, uh, the bag as a weapon. He plans to use it against the mugger. He enters the carriage. He beats the mugger with the bread and tells him to drop all the valuables he's taken as he runs out of the carriage. Very interesting how the mugger was unarmed. He didn't have like a knife or a gun, anything I could see. Uh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was pretty intense. He was pretty, like, you know, yelling at him and, like, he was intimidating even without a weapon. But, yeah, you're right. You think he would have at least a, a shank or something. Yeah, he had, like, nothing. He was just, like, threatening them. Yeah. Maybe he was just, like, so brazen and overconfident that he'll he'll grab stuff, you know? <laughs> that people would just give him shit even with, with nothing. But, uh, yeah, Larry, he actually becomes, like, a hero for real. And uh, he saves Ricky and Donna from being mugged. <laughs> Come on! Sit down! 
Larry returns Donna's hand back to her and gives Ricky his $500 back. As he heads out of the train, he turns around and says that Mr. Symington, aka Ricky, was right in the fact that the bread was hard, and he tells them both to have a very good evening as the train doors close. One of his long shoelaces get caught in the train doors. He screams at Ricky and Donna to open the door as they look on in shock. The subway train begins to pull away as Larry is following with the laces (laughs) attached to the door. And uh, that's the end of the episode. That's the hero. So uh, poor Jeff, he uh, loses the opportunity, thanks to Larry, to get Ricky Gervais, and uh, Jeff's basically back to where he was before. Yeah, Larry costs him. You think on some subconscious level he was trying to jeopardise the relationship because he probably didn't want um, Jeff to lose attention on him and his career, even though he's not doing much? Maybe you think so? It's probably a theory, but I don't think that's the case. Subconscious drive to sabotage the, the relationship. Uh, I, look, I think they still probably would have been friends anyway. They still would have, like, hung out. So yeah. I, I don't think that would have really made a difference. But, uh, yeah, I think it's just all, like... Bad luck on Larry's part, really. Yeah, but no. I'm sure there is probably a theory floating around about that. No, I don't don't think Larry's that nefarious. Like, their friendship would still be intact. They just wouldn't have the business side to worry about, which is uh, one less stress, I guess. It'd actually make the the friendship even stronger, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Mm. I think so. But anyway, that was The Hero. Like I said before, Stephen, uh, I love this episode. It's my second favourite behind Palestinian Chicken for Season 8. Uh, four and a half Larrys out of five. You? Uh, I give this one four. Um, I don't think I liked it as much as you, but um, I really did like it. Ricky Gervais, you know, anything he's great. Like I said at the top of the episode, being in New York just made it a bit... I don't think it would have been any worse if it wasn't set in New York. If it was set in LA, it would have been just an episode, but um, it just made it slightly more interesting, I guess, or just something... It did. Yeah, like it was just, yeah, really good episode. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it as well. I, my favourite scene was the dinner party. Yeah, everything everything just worked there, like like Larry's pettiness and, uh, you know, the character of Hank, he's only in a couple of scenes when he was funny as well. And, uh, yeah, Ricky mocking Larry's bread <laughs> as well. Like he's pulling, he's trying to like pull pieces of the bread off and he's like, I'm struggling here. It's so, so firm, such a firm piece of bread. But again, like you were saying that Ricky and Larry have like kind of a past, but I think Ricky is doing that also to mock Larry as well. He, he doesn't like Larry because we feel that Ricky and Susie go way back and they know each other. So Susie's told things like about Larry to Ricky and Ricky's kind of, you know how like you never meet a particular person and then someone tells you about that person, but you know the person through what the other person said, but you don't necessarily know, you know, you get an impression. the guy. Yeah, yeah, you just have like an impression, but when you meet them, they're not as, they're either like what they're described as or they're not as bad as what they said, um, yeah. you know, told to be. So it's one of those cases as well where Ricky just has it in for Larry. And that's part of Ricky's humor as well. Like Ricky kind of, he don't, like you said before, he doesn't punch down on his audience necessarily but he kind of like mocks people as well yeah like people with like idiosyncrasies and stuff so yeah it's one of those one of those things so yeah no i look i I love this episode like i said um second favorite this season and uh yeah it's wonderful and it's you're right it's good how it's set in new york as well bit of a bit of a change i think I think in a way it's good that at least this episode and the next one that we're going to be watching next week are set in New York. It kind of gives it a bit of like a refresh because I think if everything was like in LA for the rest of the season, it probably would have got stale because we've already done like the post Cheryl thing earlier in the season. And yeah, I mean, what else can we do? Is it going to be like season one or two where nothing really happens? You know, it's just like 
every day, Larry. No, it's good how they've kind of brought it up. You know, they've kind of um, they've kind of refreshed it a bit with the New York setting, which I like for at least this episode and next. I don't know for the rest of the season, um, but yeah, it's good. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. That was another episode of Curbcast. We really appreciate you listening to us, getting in touch with us as well, uh, supporting us on Patreon. It's really, really good. Um, I was saying to you off air, Steve, that uh, we're getting more people listening to us like week by week. It's absolutely like we're exponentially growing, which is something that's never happened on the podcast before. Um, so yeah, we thank you, those old and new who are uh, listening to us and uh, we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we hope you tell your Curb or Seinfeld loving friends or family about us. Uh, that would, that helps a lot. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you being with us. So uh, thanks again. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. We love each and every one of you. And um, the fact that more people are listening means a lot to us. So yeah, please continue to do so and, and spread the word. We uh, appreciate it immensely. Yeah, we sure do. Absolutely. I, I couldn't put it better myself. Um, yeah, drop us an email. Find us on Facebook. We do have uh, a Curbcast Facebook page and we have a special uh, fan page, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm Fan Club, where you can talk about uh, the show in general, put up your memes, put up your quotes, whatever it is you want to do. So uh, yeah, jump on those and uh, yeah, we'd love to uh, keep in touch. For sure. My name's Ivan. And I'm Stephen. You take care of yourselves and each other and uh, we'll catch you next week for The Bisexual, another episode set in New York. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of Mishmash Media, an independent podcast network. Follow us on social media at Mishmash Media AU or support us on Patreon. All those links are in the show notes.